When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for currently weekly baseball content. I am LJ LaFura, and I'm back here with Brandon Karam. We are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, as this boring, boring, brutally boring winter continues, how are you doing? LJ, baseball is hot in the streets once again. No, uh, I wish. Baseball is at a standstill right now. We are. I'm, cur- I'm currently sitting on the hot stove. We are in the middle of what seems like the longest lockout ever. Usually, baseball offseason goes slow when there's no lockout. Now, with there being a lockout and literally no news, LJ, it's very boring. MLB Network is just reshowing old World Series games as they're not allowed to talk about any current players. Uh,. The league is falling apart, and we are all here to witness it day by day. So we just got to keep on moving here on MLB Weekly. We should probably rename the show. Uh. <laughs> Honestly, no, we, we might as well just go ahead and move to KBO Weekly already because 
KBO and um, Nippon League, uh, get ready because if MLB doesn't start on time, we are going to be at the forefront of the KBO coverage and MPB. It's, it's not starting on time. I hate to tell you. Well, LJ, we do have a little news to talk about. Let's first get into, um, actually, uh, some two really cool stories about females in baseball and uh, kind of breaking barriers here, LJ. I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so we have two major interests in baseball in terms of women coming into the sport. The first of which is 17-year-old Genevieve Beacom in Australia has just pitched her first inning in Australia's top professional baseball league. She was signed as a developmental prospect, um, has been playing the game of baseball since 11. And again, this is, this isn't women's, this is full on going up against men. Something that a lot of people continually say can't be done, shouldn't be done, won't be done. But Brandon, the way I see it, baseball has never been about, you have to throw the ball really hard to be able to get anywhere. There have been so many great pitchers throughout the years, especially in other um, eras, where their stuff wasn't that hot. They weren't throwing 90, but they were able to throw for location. They were able to get the ball to move and get the pitches into spots where these hitters aren't going to be able to do anything with them. So there's there's definitely a place for women in major league baseball and let's see how far it goes. I mean, she says her next step is uh, college baseball in America. So who knows? Let's see where it goes. Absolutely. It's, it's great for the sport that we are recognizing something like this. LJ, you said she's 17. Yeah. 17. She played for the Melbourne aces. I mean, for a 17-year-old to be playing professionally, is is that what it is? Is It's pro ball? Yes. For a 17-year-old male to be playing pro baseball is quite the feat. To, you know, then you factor in that this is a female pitcher who, I mean, that takes so much talent, so much skill. I can't wait to see where she ends up because this is a really cool story. Uh, I would love to see her pitch in college. You know, I'm assuming she's got some nasty stuff. Uh, you know, if she's been, if if they're allowing her to have a chance, and you have to think about all the other players that are out there that played in high school or in our very skilled high school players or just graduated, and teams are going pro teams are going after this girl instead of them really shows you just how talented she really is. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what, what uh, is next for her. And, again, too, I think sports is one of those situations where, yes, a lot of places can do these, make these types of moves for diversity, for inclusion, whatever type of cause that they think they're giving, which is definitely harmful to people towards culture to be, to be doing it kind of like a handout. Sports, you can't do that. If she went out there and you could tell she was not capable of pitching on this level, A, they couldn't, wouldn't have put her out there because they're not going to risk a game for that. 
But two, it would look horrible on her. It would look horrible on everybody. So no one's going to put you in a situation in sports where you're incapable of doing the job like that. That just go- also goes to show this is she is the real deal. And so is the next lady we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, probably the bigger news that you might have heard of. The Yankees have named Rachel Balkovec as the manager of their low-A affiliate. Uh, she will manage the Tampa Tarpons. That's a, yeah, so I believe it's yeah low-A ball. Uh, first woman to ever manage an affiliated minor league club. Uh, this is, I mean, incredible what she's done. And if you don't know who Rachel Balkovec is, she has spent the last two seasons working in the Yankees minor league system as a hitting coach. She also worked with driveline baseball, which um, is Trevor Bauer. That's how he kind of came up with, he went to this company called driveline. They're all about the innovative uh, pitching, hitting, all the new mechanics and graphs and they use all the slow motion cameras and everything very complicated stuff she was working with them she was working with the dutch national baseball team at one point so very accredited and someone who certainly uh knows what she's talking about and to be able to see her get a manager's spot is is awesome and just goes to show that there is people out there who are just as qualified uh, for these spots, and uh, she certainly should have one. Well, moving on to other news here, we have a retirement, one of many, of course, and I think we're probably going to see more of them as this lockout goes on, of, as guys just don't want to have to deal with any of the stress that this comes that comes with it there a lot of these older guys i'm sure will probably say you know what it's time this time we have john lester retiring after i believe it's 16 years did i see am i pulling that number out of nowhere 16 years you're correct yeah what what a year what a what a career right yeah uh certainly a starting pitcher that i watched a lot of growing up uh, you know, he's been around ever since I became, you know, baseball smart. I, you know, started watching baseball around 2008, 2009. Uh, and John Lester will always be known as a pitcher who extremely consistent. He's going to go out there. He's going to get you into the sixth or seventh inning. He's going to give you 200 innings on the season. He's really not going to get hurt. And, um... He said it in a quote, actually. He said, look, like it's kind of run its course. I want to be the person to say, you know, I'm not as good now and I should step away. Then have someone else tell me, you know, you're not the best now. You're a little older. You might, you might want to think about it. So he said, you know, it's all about his self-evaluation. And here's his quote. He said, I want to be able to hand my jersey over and say, thank you. It's been fun. That's probably the biggest factor. So... What a career for John Lester. Ends with exactly 200 wins, which is quite the mark. Uh, You know, he ends over 2,700 innings pitched, uh, strikeouts close to 2,500. He was 12 off, so very accomplished. He's got the three World Series and five All-Star games to his credit and 44 career war, so... 
Hall of Very Good is the floor for him. Yeah, I mean, look, all of the numbers are really, honestly, too, it's, it's just below consideration level for all of his stuff. And I really love the message, too, that we've seen time and time again with actors, athletes, everybody really, that they want to be able to be in control of the narrative. They want to be able to be the one to put closure to the end of their story. And good on him for doing it. There's just one thing that still bugs me with this. Why did he spend his last year in Washington and St. Louis? Because the Cubs were too big of you-know-what to want to re-sign him. I'm not going to even put this entirely on the Cubs because, first off, let's address the Cubs. It didn't cost that much to get John Lester. It was never going to cost that much to get John Lester. They could have done it. They could have done the right – well, honestly, it's, it's about doing the right thing more than anything. It's fine to have a rebuild. It's fine to sell your players off and let them let them go so you can keep your payroll down. But at the end of the day, this is still a business. You still have to treat your employees well. And to me, not letting a guy who's older like that finish out his career, maybe talk to him about what his plan is, he, he deserved that moment there. He could have also just as easily gotten that moment in Boston too. Look, I know he's more known as a Cub now than a sock, it feels like, but Certainly, I mean, more more of his wins were in Boston than they were in Chicago. And they had pitchers on this roster that had very comparable seasons. And you knew they were going to have very comparable seasons compared to John Lester. You cannot tell me that this team, rather than bringing in Matt Andrees, rather than bringing in Garrett Richards, rather than bringing back Martin Perez, couldn't have gone out and grabbed this guy too. So either of those options would have been a fitting end to his career, a respectful and deserving end to his career, and frankly, shame on both franchises for not bringing it, take, seeing it through. All right, we're going to touch on one last thing prior to getting to our top 10 shortstops and top 10 left fielder rankings. And this last thing is that the two sides, the MLB owners and the Players Association, will be meeting on Thursday, the January 13th, to discuss the basic economics. Is that what they're calling it? Core economics? They're just trying to make up words for us to think that stuff's going on. But They're they're trying to look busy. Honestly, the most productive thing that could possibly happen to this thing is Rob Manfred showing up with a white glove, slapping them across the face and challenging them to a duel, which will take another month to get prepared. Now, now, question, because I believe, the, was it was it 15 minutes the last time that they met? I saw something that was a very short amount of time that both sides just kind of walked in, sat there for 15 minutes, and were just on opposite ends of the spectrum uh, that they just left. What are we saying the over-under is for here? Because let's, you know, all jokes aside, like, progress has to start somewhere. You can't just keep walking in and saying, we're going to, you know, play hardball here. We don't want anything to get done. Because, unfortunately, at some point, both the players and the owners are going to start to lose a lot of money and... We all know how much people love money. 
So when your job, when it comes down to your job and there's a hard deadline, that's when people will start to actually be motivated. Until there's a hard deadline, these talks are going nowhere. We need a firm date. The CBA has to be. There was done. a firm date. What is <laughs> that's that? why we're locked out. Yes, there was a firm date, and now we need a firm date to be able to start talking again. We need a firm date for our firm date. Look, this goes an hour tops. Because I just don't... I, I don't hope see, not. Again, maybe, call me pessimistic, but I don't see how there is reason for either of these sides to actually look for a deal yet. Because... We're still kind of not, we're not early on into this, but they still have another like full month before they're delaying anything. And I don't think either side has really said that they aren't opposed to delaying the season start and spring training start. The players so, are going to want to play, though, is the thing. They don't the, want another shortened season after what they had to go through. They just aren't going to take no for an answer, I feel. But the thing is, well, that's that's not exactly how negotiation will no i know i know (laughs) (laughs) but for me you've got the players the players both i think feel kind of disrespected by the way that the negotiation went in 2020 because that was kind of that was rough towards them for the majority of it and then they also feel like they have the court of public opinion i have heard very few people i am probably one of the more pro owner people in the baseball community so if they feel they have the core of public opinion they aren't going to feel like they are really hurting anything but their own pocket as they try to get what they feel like they need they're going to be more emboldened as a group to do this rob manfred on the other hand i think the one thing he wants most out of all is to keep his job am i wrong to continue making making money to continue to have a livelihood yeah, and when your job depends on the 30 owners, uh, it's best when to be job buddies or, with them. Yes, when your job depends on the 30 owners, and most of those 30 owners were in agreement that they probably should have held out longer last time there was a legitimate lockout, then I don't see how anything happens before the season starts. We Besides, can only both, both too, motiv- too motivated. Hey, look, we can only hope. I think at some point it's going to come, at least me, it's just, I think it's going to come down to we need to, you know, get games going here. But certainly a lot more talks will be had between me and LJ regarding this specific situation. But LJ, is it time? Yes, we are going to briefly take you through who both of us think are the top. 10 shortstops and top 10 left fielders in the league. If you have not seen the last couple episodes where we did uh, catcher first, second, and third, then definitely go check the, those out. But I think these might be four of our best lists. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll start off with shortstop. And yep. at number 10, I have a guy that very excited to talk about and LJ is certainly going to touch on him at some point and that is Wander Franco of the Tampa Bay Rays now you could be saying this might be a little bit of clickbait putting him at number 10 and yeah I kind of put him at number 10 because I wanted to talk about him first I'm not gonna lie 
what isn't there to like about Wander Franco? I mean, LJ is going to, in a few minutes when he talks about him, certainly going to do a better job breaking him down than I can. But basically, I see a 20-year-old player who has already shown extreme potential in the MLB, uh, puts up three and a half war in just 70 games, well above average hitter, well above average in the field, can pretty much do it all. And uh, he's playing for the Rays. He just signed, or no, did he, he did sign that long-term deal. That's right. So he will be locked up in Tampa Bay for a while. And um, He'll be locked up in the Tampa Bay contract. Yeah, in the Tampa Bay contract. Unfortunately, he, he might be calling Montreal his new home in a few years. But as for now, honestly, I wouldn't mind that because I'm pretty close to Montreal. Could go see him play a little more often. But no problem at all for me putting Wander Franco 10 or having him any higher for another person's list because, quite frankly, if he does... If he puts up the same stats he did this year in 2022, just across a full season, he will be significantly higher on my list come next year. All right, my next guy here, kind of average offensively, I will admit, but there is more to the game than offense, and that's Nicky Lopez. Look, I couldn't leave this guy out of my top 10 for one reason only. Defense absolutely matters in baseball. And there is really, except catcher and center field. Catcher, center field, and shortstop are the three positions where it matters way more than anywhere else. And so if you were to tell me that not only Nicky Lopez had 25 outs above average this season, but that's five more than any other player in the league, that's what sold it for me. I I couldn't let the opportunity pass up. This is an elite defensive season from Nicky Lopez snubbed of a sh- of the uh gold glove i think 100 percent snubbed and uh nicky lopez yeah not the greatest hitter but he still was an above average hitter across the most games he's ever played in a season he's only 26 years old he's played three seasons and i mean look he can steal bases lj 22 steals only one time he was caught the Royals could really have something nice going here. You pair him with Whit Merrifield at second base. You got a very solid middle infield there. Uh, the one thing I will say about Nicky Lopez, and just because it's funny because I was watching the game that day, the Yankees played the Royals and a game went into extra innings, and poor Nicky Lopez, ball took a bad bounce and took it right off the face in the middle of the oh. game. Not his fault. We know he's a gr- he's great in the field, but just that's the one thing when I originally saw Nicky Lopez, first thing I thought about. And you can go find the clip, I'm sure. Nicky Lopez when he got hit in the face with the ball in the field. But what do we what do we think that comes out to 25 and a half, 26 outs above average if you think about the football? <laughs> well, he stopped it with his face. So, I mean, <laughs> at least it didn't go into the outfield. Hey, you do what you can do to make a play, right? Brandon, who you got at nine? At number nine, I have Francisco Lindor of the New York Mets. His Look, his big contract finally starts in 2022. Let's hope that his production is a lot like his 2015 through 2019 and not like his 2020 and 2021. Or uh, Uncle Steve Cohen is going to be 
not very pleased with having to uh, dish out this contract. But look, we, we've we seen what he can do. I mean, his age 21 through 25 seasons stack up with pretty much anyone's. Uh, and great in the field, switch hitter. We know he can hit. We know he can do everything. Can he put it together in a big market is the question. I would be betting to say yes. He still put up a three-war season, even with uh, he was, he missed a bunch of games. He was cold for the whole start of the season. I think he's fine. I moved him down a little bit to nine, but I can certainly see him having a big year and jumping back up my list. Look, I also have him at nine. I'm not nearly as optimistic about this guy as you are, just because the fact that we are seeing such we saw just such a drop off in power at twenty six doesn't bode well for the rest of his game or 25 and 26 excuse me or no i was right 26 jeez um look this guy's gonna have to do some real proving to me for him to stay in this top 10 he's gonna have to do a lot more than just that to be able to prove that he's worth the contract extension that he was given do i think he can absolutely do i think he's still gonna be a really good option at shortstop i don't think he could possibly move out of and i know shortstop is a very deep position with the defensive output that he puts together year after year this is a two-time gold glover and mind you second and outs above average this year to nicky lopez in the entire league i don't see how he moves outside of the top 15 or 18 shortstops regardless of what he's doing on offense but if he wants to be in that upper echelon that we were always talking about him in for the last several years, then he really has to step it up and soon change the narrative. And that's really what, um, not, I'm sorry for taking this segment a little too long, but that's really the thing with a big market too, right? Is in a small market, it takes a lot longer to build your narrative. It takes multiple seasons to build your narrative. Whereas as soon as you go to New York, if that first season, that first season is going to be how people look at you. That first season, maybe second season. And then that is your reputation. That is your storyline. That is your narrative. So that's the danger of the big market other than just the fan pressure. So he really certainly failed that this time, but we'll see. He, again, needs to make a big step up for that. All right, at my number eight spot, I have Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox. In my opinion, one of the best contact hitters in the league. He's put up an average over 300 the last three seasons. Uh, He's consistently at the top of the lineup, usually the leadoff hitter. And hitting-wise, he stacks up pretty good with most of the shortstops. Even when you look at the power numbers, I mean... He had 10 homers in 49 games in 2020, puts up 17 homers this year. But, I mean, this is a guy who is just going to get hits. 800 hits in 693 games across his short six-year career so far. Defensively, used to be really bad, has gotten significantly better. And, LJ, would you believe it if I told you Tim Anderson... 17 career war in six seasons that's it's it's a significant number for a guy like him who's only gotten mvp votes once 
but was an all-star for the first time in his career in 2021. And I think with him being on the White Sox, they have so many great options in their lineup uh, that you're not just going to want to put him on base. He's going to get good pitches to hit and excited to see what he's going to bring. Certainly one of the more exciting players in the league, you know, with his bat flips and everything and uh, makes him fun to watch. And that's what baseball should be about. Yeah, coming up next on my list, Willie Adamas. I don't think anyone's going to be that surprised with how much I glow about him regularly on this podcast. Look, this is a guy who has routinely been a really good defensive output guy when he was in Tampa. Didn't have that same effect this year, but this was also the resurgence of what was an up-and-down career for him offensively ends up with an 886 OPS on the year. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. That was enough to convince me, or excuse me, it wasn't 818, but 886 in Milwaukee, which is more important. He almost he played 99 games for this team, and as soon as he came in, he controlled, commanded that offense, and really was the reason that they were able to win the division this year and have such a successful season. Brandon, this offense was not anything special for the majority of the year, but he started to change that identity when he went over there in May. And that I think also says a lot to me about overall, whether it's leadership or just quality of play that he's able to change the tone so dramatically. I think my favorite thing about Willie Adamas is that look, you look at his stats for his entire career home versus away dude could just not hit in the trough. He just, he just couldn't for whatever reason. 70 OPS plus at home in his career versus a 129 OPS plus in road games. He needed to get out of Tampa. Tampa needed to find a reason to get him out to clear space for Taylor Walls, Wander Franco, Vidal Brujan. And they got back a nasty pitcher in JP Fireisen in that trade. LJ, that trade, I mean, pretty much worked out for both sides if we're going to assume that Adamus's hitting problems mostly came because he just couldn't hit in the trop. I mean, you don't see a player with that drastic of splits unless that is actually an issue for them. I mean, it makes sense too because I mean, Brandon, have you been to the trop much? Uh, I've never been there, but I know you have significant experience at the trop. I love me some trop baseball, but 
I can understand how somebody could have an issue with it because it's just the way that everything is very, maybe not bright, but or not bright, but like there is a certain color tone to it that you don't see in any other baseball stadiums and you don't see it in many other indoor arenas either. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but I can understand how somebody could theoretically have a little bit of an issue seeing, seeing the ball there. And look, another season, I think will tell us if he's able to repeat what he put together in Milwaukee this year, then yeah, that was the issue. That's not going to be an issue again, as long as he doesn't end up deciding to resign there, but why on earth would he? All right. Coming in at my number seven spot, I have Trevor story of no team right now. He's a free agent, but had previously played for the Colorado Rockies. I mean, look, here's a guy who in six seasons has put up 26.7 war, two seasons in a row with six war puts up four war in the 2021 season. Sure. Has his hitting gotten worse? Yes. Like you can say 2021 was his down year, but other than that, extremely consistent and a guy who can pretty much do it all. He's got power. He's got speed. He can draw a fair share of walks. He strikes out a lot, unfortunately. The defense is good. Is it gold glove quality? Clearly not yet, as he hasn't won one, but he's had positive defensive war every single year of his career. And obviously you can see that he's going to get a huge contract. I mean, you don't put up these kind of stats and hit free agency without getting a huge contract. It's just, you know, where is the right place for him? Can he keep up what he's been doing? But, I mean, the Rockies were stupid not to trade him at the trade deadline to try to get something for him because he's just too too valuable of a player. All right. Well, I think for the most part, for these next the rest of this list, I think we're going to be able to move pretty quickly just yeah. because of how much we talk about them um, all the time on this show. This is the cream of the crop. This is one of the deepest, most talented positions in baseball. So no brainer coming up sooner rather than later here at number seven. I've got Corey Seager. Look, we're talking about a two-time all-star, two-time silver slugger. And that was all when he was like 22, 23. He certainly... His his numbers quieted down, but I think more so that Dodgers team kind of ramped up. You know, you have all of these incredible players on this team. It's very easy to get overshadowed, and other stars are seeing that right now as well. But there's a reason he signed a huge contract. There's a reason that he's having this resurgence in the back half of his 20s, putting up 150 OPS plus, 145 OPS plus in back-to-back years. This guy is a force offensively and it's going to be a shame to see the Dodgers without him I will get to Corey Seager in a little bit but for now my number six is Brandon Crawford uh we gave Brandon Crawford a lot of praise uh in our MVP show was that it when we yes Brandon Crawford's awesome he put up his best season of his entire career in 2021 and he was 34. He's going to be going on his age 35 season, his 12th year in the league. 
and can still hit with the best shortstops, can still field like the best shortstops, and just has built an identity as such a solid player for his entire career. Really, outside of 2019, there's no year that you look at and say, I'm unhappy with what I got from him. And, you know, multiple-time All-Star, there for two of your three championships, four-time gold gloves. He even has a silver slugger in there that he won back in 2015. Just such a solid player all around and really fits in with the Giants perfectly in my mind. I think uh, Brandon Crawford is also my number six. And all I have really left to add is I think he is in part the embodiment of what we were talking about with Francisco Lindor, where defensively he is so good that he can give you lukewarm offensive production and you're still going to be very happy with his output. But what makes it even better is when he doesn't give you lukewarm, when he gets hot like this. I mean, this is going to be very interesting to see if this is a one-season thing. I think 2022, he's going to be a guy you have to watch because if he's kind of putting together a late career resurgence, is it even a resurgence? Because this is the best he's played. I think it's plain and simple. This is the best. I don't think he ever fell off. This is just, he just got better. He just got better. Yes, that's exactly my point. He's like, he just out of nowhere got better during the end of his, or this portion of his career. And if he continues on this pace, who knows what we're, how we're going to be talking about him in the few years' time. Well, I totally agree with that. Uh, I was happy to see that we both agreed putting him at the number six spot. My number five is Corey Seager, uh, who LJ just touched on. And a few things that I have to say about Corey Seager. First of all, Everybody forgets that he won World Series MVP in 2020, which, you know, we can't put past him, even though, you know, some could argue a Kevin Cash. No, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) Uh, Look, I love Corey Seager, but LJ, can he please stay healthy for a full season? Please. Yeah, it's certainly a uh, legitimate criticism here. And we'll see. I mean, again, that's part of, I'm sure, why they brought in. Um, why am I blanking on the name? Trey Turner. Not well, yeah, Trey Turner. But oh, I'm more Simeon. talking about Marcus Simeon for um, the Rangers. Is you've got another guy here who, realistically, where where are we putting him if we if he moved back to shortstop? Probably top five. Even. Five, yeah. So that's a huge plus for the Rangers. It's a huge plus for comfort for him, knowing he isn't going to be letting his team down that much if he can't stay healthy. And my point is that if he could stay healthy for a full year, he could. I could very easily see him win an MVP. Like That's not out of oh, the yeah. question in my mind at all. Oh, for sure. Well, starting off my number five here, I've got Wander Franco. We all know he was coming. And a couple episodes ago, Brandon was asking me if I had Wander Franco in my top three. I honestly told him no, because I have him in my top five. And 
look, I, I just, there's a couple of spots here that just really stand out for me. First off is the eye test. He came up, played with such maturity, overall strength and overall, like to be able to play so well, so early on to your career is really a testament to his talent. The fact that, again, a great, incredible season by Randy Rosarena was what um, kind of pushed him off here. But I think um, where I was going with this is, look, three and a half war over 70 games. That probably puts him – does that not put him in discussion for the MVP last season? 2020 MVP? That's, yes. that, that's about that's about that's about that range if he played that full stretch just keep that in perspective and i i'm trying not to let recency bias take over which i don't really think i have but youth isn't always something that projects it's something of you can see the talent you just haven't seen the sample size yet and i'm willing to look look past that when i see this much talent all right Coming in at number four, it's Xander Bogarts of the Boston Red Sox. Here's a guy who is the epitome of consistency. He just doesn't have a down year. Since 2018, though, he's really kicked into a high gear, getting MVP votes in all four seasons. Since then, uh, you know, he finishes fifth in the 2019 MVP where he put up ridiculous offensive numbers. This year, 144 games, you know, 23 homers, 80 RBIs, 12th in MVP voting. He gets the AL Silver Slugger for shortstop and is the closest thing to, like, these top-tier guys. Like, the three I have in front of Xander Bogarts are, like, clearly the next tier. But... I think that when you look at Xander Bogarts, he's almost in like a tier of his own where he is he's good enough to be the top of his own tier, but not good enough to be in the top three, you know, of shortstops in my mind. Just so consistent though. He's gonna give you great numbers year after year. Injuries have never really been an issue with him. Like he's playing hundred and forty games for you at least, um, and yeah, just no bad years in here. I've made this take before. I will make it again. Xander Bogarts is a top five MVP finish this year if he stayed healthy. It's plain and simple. Yeah, there's a lot of um, context that I think the games played misses because again a lot of it's objective and you can't really do that but playing through an injury is not the same as playing regularly and he legitimately was not healthy through the end of july early august and then misses time for covid at the end of august into september so there is that's basically a quarter of the season where he wasn't at his top if he had stayed at his top you're talking about a top five mvp guy Again, Brendan, you hit it on the head. There's very little more I could say. I'm very happy to have him around. All right. Number three, I have Carlos Correa, who does not yet have a team. And 
it's pretty simple with Carlos Correa. Uh, many consider him to have the best arm out of all the shortstops. So much so that the Astros actually, on all their cutoff plays, regardless of where the ball is, it's Carlos Correa going to get the cutoff in the outfield. Uh, most teams do not do that. Astros are one of the only teams that do that because of how much value and how good his arm is. And the stats that Carlos Correa has put up to start his career, 34.1 war in seven seasons. And that's only 752 games. So however many full seasons that you want to you know, break that down to, He's essentially putting up like 7 war per 162 games, which is well into the MVP range in most seasons. The defense is there. The offense is there. The personality, he comes off very much like A-Rod where, sure, he's polarizing, but he's so damn good that what team wouldn't want this guy? You know, why wouldn't the Yankees want to go after this guy? Because he's that good. It's almost the same thing as A-Rod. We're like, yeah, the guy's an asshole, but just at what point do you let their personality overshadow their greatness? And I think that's an interesting case with Carlos Correa, definitely. I think the thing with this Carlos Correa free agency is finding a good fit for him. Because I don't see him the same... I don't view him the same way I, I would view... A-Rod, where it's just he's a polarizing figure and that's why he gets trouble. I think his outward expression is, you know, it is kind of an A-hole thing, but that's not him across the board. You watch him on the field with his teammates and he was the leader of this Astros team for the last several seasons, certainly since A.J. Hinch left. So to me... I look at Carlos Correa and I see a guy who his public persona has made him kind of a, a media monster. But when as soon as you get him in the clubhouse, he's totally different. So with that, I, I don't think a big market is the best place for him because they're just going to chew that up. Whereas if you had, say, just spitballing here, I mean, honestly, Detroit's the best place I can think of. Get, Unfortunately. Get I know, I know. It's Javi, Javi is such a stupid choice for them. They should have gone all in, to, done what it took to get Correa, in my opinion. But, like, a Detroit-esque team, maybe even Seattle. Seattle, yeah. It's a young team, mid-sized market, where the media is not going to be, like, on his ass the whole time, but it's a young team where he can teach them how to be a winner. That's, that's the place for Carlos Correa. All right, number two on my list may be a little controversial, but I'm going Fernando Tatis Jr. In the three seasons he's played, actually, here, I'll start off with this. LJ, other than Mike Trout, is there many players you can say have had a better first three years than Trout and Tatis? No. Well, yeah, no, not so far. It's, I mean, Tatis, you look at his 2019, he only plays half the season, puts up 
22 homers, 16 stolen bases on a 317 batting average, 154 OPS plus. Still finishes third in the rookie of the year. He only played 84 games. Okay. 2020, he plays 59 of the 60 games. 17 homers, 45 RBIs, 156 OPS plus, fourth in MVP voting silver slugger. 2021, his age 22 season. 42 homers, which leads the National League. 97 RBIs on a 975 OPS. And LJ, he played 130 games, rushed back from an injury, was playing in center field for a good portion of the season, and still leads the NL in home runs. He played 130 games. The sky is the absolute limit for this kid, and he's the second most fun player in baseball behind the guy that I have ranked ahead of him. Ooh. Not going to be able to come close to agreeing with you there, but my number two here is going to be Trey Turner. There's very little bad you could possibly say about this guy. The only thing I wish is this is another guy where I think would have been an absolute monster. We would be talking about him like the GOAT in another era where more chances, more risks were, were to be made. This is a guy who consistently is a has become a hit-for-average type of guy. We've got uh, four straight 300 seasons, a two times leading the league in hits. Um, you name it, and you add that in with leading the league in st- stolen bases, being one of the top guys in stolen bases, being the fastest man in the league without much – really, there's no one else that I would rather have in terms of a speed threat than Trey Turner – if you were to see him in, uh, on a team which were to give him more opportunity to take, take risks on the base path, he would be an absolute nightmare. I really want to see, I, w- I would love to see it. But for now, I am more than content with watching him play for the Dodgers, play unique roles where he can do a lot of different things and just make the game fun to watch. Well, we will now flip the conversation where I'll be talking about Trey Turner. LJ will be talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. But here's my thing with Trey Turner. So, LJ, like you said, amazing contact hitter, right? Can clearly, his bat-to-ball skills are second to none. However, not only did he win the batting title, and not only did he lead the National League in stolen bases and the MLB in hits, he led the National League in total bases. So this isn't a guy who's just going up there ripping single after single and ends his season with 135 singles out of 200 hits. He had 34 doubles in 28 homers. Like, what? What player hits 328, which in today's standards, hitting 328 is pretty ridiculous considering how good the pitching has become and how much hitters are selling out for power. How do you still hit such a high average so you're aggressive and you're able to get all these hits, but also you have power in there too? And you can play second. And you can play short. 
and we've seen you used in center field in the past. Just a do-it-all player, the most fun player in the league, the fastest player, uh, and watching him play on a nightly basis is something that I intend on doing next year because I've always known about Trey Turner, always watched highlights, but being able to watch more games this year and just watching him play, you just tell he is so electric. As for Tatis, my number one here, he has something different than a lot of other great players do, and that's why I see his baseball reference page filling up in a way that doesn't happen in this day and age. The only thing that could possibly take this guy down is injury, which we've already seen quite a bit of it in limited time. But Brandon's talked about how great this guy is. There's nothing really more I can say. There's a lot of red there. All I can really say is he very possibly, I don't think I would be necessarily slighting anyone if I were to say he is the best hitter or will be the next best hitter in the next three years in the league for a very long time. But more so, there's a certain air about him on the field, a confidence, uh, electricity about watching him that I don't get from Trey Turner. As fun as it is, as fun as his numbers are, Fernando Tatis is clearly more fun to watch than his numbers are to look at, which isn't the case for a lot of these guys. What is that? What do I think that means? I think that he is going to be one of the few guys that can escape voter fatigue as well. Down the line, I very, very easily can see this guy having a Hank Aaron-esque reference page where he goes and he's winning He's going to 12 straight all-star games. He's winning eight straight silver sluggers. There's no stopping this guy. and There's no stopping the intrigue this guy brings. Very well put. And, I mean, really, the top three guys you can put in any order, and I'd be fine with it. If you want to say Carlos Correa is the best shortstop in the league, be, be my guest. Go right ahead. These three are so all so good that you're that like trying to rank them and trying to figure out who's better than someone else. Like I don't want to have to say anything negative or have to say, oh well, he's better at this than that guy because they're just all such generational talents that are so much fun to watch. Shortstop in general is one of those spots where you know you expect one of the most athletic, most fun players, best players to be there and. In the past, it's certain. In the past, it hasn't been like that. But now, 2022, we see shortstops, young shortstops are taking over. They can do everything, and it's great for the game. All right. Well, before we wrap up, why don't we go through the composite ranking we've got here of these guys? Starting at number 12, we have Nicky Lopez. Then we've got a two-way tie for 10th place between Milwaukee's Willie Adamas and Chicago's Tim Anderson. Trevor Story and Francisco Lindor are tied for eighth. Wander Franco comes in at seventh for the Tampa Bay Rays. Then we've got Corey Seager and Brendan Crawford here tied for fifth. And then our top four goes Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa at third, and then a two-way tie for first between Trey Turner and Fernando Tatis 
anyone would be very happy with that result. Absolutely. Well, I believe that's going to wrap up this week's episode. We'll push the left fielders to next week as hopefully we have some good news coming out of this meeting between the players association and the owners. But until next week, I'm Brandon Karam. He is LJ LaFiora. We'll see you. See ya. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.